Voices are exotic Dancers enter one by one Make love to all of your orifices In your seduction Hello and welcome to Ear Seduction. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. In this episode, we're going to learn about a concept I'm calling human data sets. Thus, we're going to discuss what are human data sets, how they are compiled, their different types, and how they can be used. By the end of this episode, you will understand the evidence-based foundation of my moral system and how that evidence is collected into human data sets. So the first question we must answer is, what is a human data set? A human data set is a compilation of data collected from Homo sapiens. These data can be either objective or subjective in nature. An example of objective data that we would compile into human data sets are the facts of human biology, physiology, and neurology. One such data point would be that Homo sapiens thrive when they have access to clean air. This is an objective fact, hence it can be agreed upon by all. It is based on the hard sciences, and it relates directly to all Homo sapiens. Some examples of subjective data that we would compile into human data sets are people's accounts of what it feels like when they can't breathe. In this example, we are collecting first-hand subjective accounts of suffering. This is the type of data that we would use to help us determine the moral implications of our actions. This is also the type of data we would use to establish basic human rights. This subjective data is collected utilizing the Schilling standard and directs its questions accordingly, with the focus on determining how people would like to be treated. Another example of subjective human data we might want to collect is of a more traditional sort. This is the type of data we currently collect in pupils and other humanities studies. This type of subjective data focuses on how one believes others should be treated, or would like to be treated, and is gathered using the antiquated golden rule. This subjective evidence would not be used to establish a science of morality, but rather is useful in determining how moral or immoral are different groups of people. This type of data is descriptive in nature, not prescriptive, like the data we collect using the Schilling standard, and is perhaps most useful in determining how effective our science of morality is at changing people's minds, or as I stated in previous episodes, becoming adults. Human data sets look a lot like any other data set we might see in any database. It has rows and columns and keys and are relational in nature. They represent a bulk of information, in this case relating to Homo sapiens, and can be queried to determine current status, trends, percentages, and facts. Now let's focus on the three different types of data, how they are collected, and how they are used. If we're going to build a science of morality, then we need to be able to collect human data sets and use that data in meaningful ways. As stated before, there are three different types of human data sets. Subjective data that is descriptive, subjective data that is used prescriptively, and objective data. 
the three different types of data need to be used for their appropriate purposes, and they shouldn't be confused. All three make up a complete understanding of a sound, evidence-based moral system. To further illustrate the difference between these three data sets, let's use the death penalty for example. In Pew polls, people are asked, quote, Do you favor or oppose the death penalty for persons convicted of murder? Unquote. Right away, some aspects of this question should stand out to you. Notice the focus of this question. It asks how you think others should be treated. Thus, this question aligns with the golden rule, where it focuses on how to treat others based on your individual thoughts, feelings, and beliefs. Thus, the data collected by asking this question would be used in a descriptive manner. These data tell us how moral are the group of people being asked. These data could also provide us with moral trends within these groups. Furthermore, these data could even help us to rate these groups against the morality of other groups. And this is just what was accomplished in this Pew poll. In the case of this Pew data, the two different groups of people identified are the United States political parties, the Democrats versus the Republicans. These data was likely collected to provide people with information to help them assess to which group they fit, to establish trends in each group over the years, and to measure the two groups against one another. Now that we've identified what kind of data this is, let's discuss its limitations. There are a few key concepts and limitations regarding these data. These data do not provide us with any moral direction. In order to make a moral claim about either group, we need first to measure these data against an objective data set. It clearly distinguishes that we are talking about what should happen to someone else. In order for subjective data to qualify to the level of scientific data, it needs to be prescriptive in nature. Thus, we need to collect subjective data that are first-person accounts of how they would like to be treated. This distinction is very important and needs to be crystal clear in your mind. When we are collecting subjective data to be used in the science of morality, it never matters what you think or feel about how another group of people should be treated. The only data that we can admit to support a science of morality is data about how you think and feel about yourself. Or better said, data collected using the Schilling standard. So the questions we pose need to be directed at the person answering the questions directly. <laughs> An appropriate question we could use to build a science of morality would be, quote, how do you want to be treated? Unquote. Not how do you think others should be treated? That way, the data we collect can be compiled into a subjective human data set and aggregated to give us objective facts about a group of people. It will help to clarify this difference if we aggregate the data and then query it to support a claim. First, let's look back at the Pew poll and see what claims the Pew data supports. In the Pew poll, their query returned the following facts. 46% of Democrats and 77% of Republicans favor the death penalty for those that commit murder. If we think about this for a moment, 
there is no clear direction provided to us by this data. It's just what one group of people thinks should happen to another group of people. So what should we think? These data doesn't provide us with any way to get to a reasonable answer, and ultimately doesn't support any moral claim except for how one group of people believes another should be treated. The most reasonable follow-up question to a claim like this is, why should I care? What does it matter what one group thinks should happen to another? What matters and constitutes subjective moral evidence is what individual people want to have happen to themselves. So let's now build that human data set. A human data set that gives us subjective moral evidence we can use for prescribing morality and building a science of morality. In other words, how would we build a subjective human data set where the data provides us with direction towards the correct answer? To accomplish this, we would need to change the focus of the question from the golden rule into the shilling standard. To do this, we would reword the question, quote, if you were convicted of murder, should you be put to death? Notice how this question is directed at the person being asked, not at how they think others should be treated. One other difference between the two data sets is that when we use the shilling standard, we would be required to also ask this question of people that have been convicted of murder. This accomplishes a few things. The first is that it follows the shilling standard. Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. This is obvious, but worth stating just to ensure that I am being consistent in my methodology. Following the shilling standard changes the nature of the study and forces those that are conducting the study to reach out into the world and to engage with people in the correct way. The data that is collected is then direct evidence of how people want to be treated, how they feel about being killed, and ultimately direct evidence of their personal experience. The second is that it makes the person questioned a member of the group we are trying to learn about. When we focus our questions in this way, Everyone we question is forced to think of themselves as part of the in-group. So, if you were convicted of murder, how would you like to be treated? In an evidence-based moral system, it doesn't matter what you think should happen to others. What matters is how you feel or what you think should happen to yourself. Should you happen to find yourself as a member of that group? Finally. It incentivizes the person being asked to answer in an honest way. People are often much more morally honest when they are the person being killed or punished, etc. By wording the question in such a way as to place the person being asked the question into the moral scenario, we are aligning everyone's incentives to give an honest answer regarding how they would like to be treated. So what kinds of conclusions can be drawn from a subjective moral data set like this one? The first thing to notice is that this type of subjective data set does not rely on conjecture like the Pew data. Data collected using the Schilling standard never relies on how one person thinks another should feel, think, or act. Data collected using the Schilling standard is direct, 
It gathers firsthand evidence of how people want to be treated and thus can be considered as evidence and utilized in a science of morality. Since a science of morality is based on humanity, each and every individual's thoughts, feelings, and desires relating to how they want to be treated can be introduced as subjective moral evidence. Thus, a database filled with this subjective moral evidence should be aggregated, compiled, and queried to get a full understanding of human morality. If we further incorporate objective moral data sets, then we complete the human database with an objective standard we can then use to measure the subjective data against. Hopefully, an image is starting to form in your head of exactly what kind of moral system I am building in this series, how we would compile it, and how we might use it to make moral decisions and come to moral conclusions. Before we utilize an example to illustrate how human data sets should be used to come to moral conclusions, let's first get a better understanding of objective human data sets. The last human data set that we must compile doesn't rely on the Schilling standard. As we have just learned, the Schilling standard is used to gather subjective moral evidence that we can then compile into a subjective human data set. But in order to complete our science of morality, we need to incorporate objective data facts, and evidence. This is done utilizing the scientific method. These objective human data sets would be filled with all manner of scientific data that relates to human well-being and suffering. This objective data is evidence, evidence that provides us with a clear and unambiguous foundation for the many different ways that humans both suffer and flourish reliably. Thus, these objective data sets would be used as our measure. This would be the data all of our subjective data sets would be compared to in order to ensure that we are on the right track. This objective data further directs us towards sound moral conclusions and provides us with hard and fast rules to follow when we are prescribing morality onto others. An example will assist with explaining what I mean. Let's say that we conduct a survey, like the one I referenced earlier. In this survey, we are asking people how much food aid they would want if they found themselves starving. Again, here we are utilizing the Schilling Standard to ensure that we get subjective evidence that can be used in our moral system. That is, subjective evidence that has prescriptive capabilities, directs us towards a moral outcome, and is scientific in nature. Let's say that one of our human data sets is filled with anorexics, people that suffer from anorexia. So all the people included in that human data set report wanting much less food than all the others. To ensure that this data set is sound and help us better understand what we should do with this data, we would first compare it to an objective human data set. That is, a human data set filled with facts we have collected regarding the number of calories we know, for a fact, a person needs to thrive. Again, this is our objective human data set we compiled using the scientific method. This objective human data set would be the objective facts we would then use to compare our subjective data against. This objective data set provides us with the necessary corrections for any skewed data.
data like those we would collect from a group of anorexics regarding how much food we should send to starving people. Thus, if any subjective human data set directly contradicts an objective human data set we've compiled relating to the moral question we are trying to answer, we would err on the side of the objective data. In the case of how much food we would send to anorexics, we would just send the amount our objective data states is the correct amount for humans to flourish. After the appropriate amount of food arrives, the anorexics can do with the food whatever they wish. Notice the function of our objective moral data set and what it provides. These objective moral data give us an objective standard to work from, something to measure our subjective data against so that we can further assess its relevance and application. This objective data is necessary if we are to implement a sound moral system and further develop a science of morality. So now we understand the two different types of subjective human data sets and the objective human data set. We know how each is collected and utilized to give us moral direction and how to come to moral conclusions. So let's test this system and see what we find. Let's query subjective moral data collected using the Schilling standard to see what answers we find. Just to be clear here, I don't have actual data that I can guarantee was collected using the Schilling standard. I'm not even sure that such data exists, but what I do have is possible data collected called execution volunteers. Execution volunteers are prisoners on death row that waived their right to an appeal and have requested that their death be expedited. These data was reported by the Death Penalty Information Center at www.deathpenaltyinfo.org. I'm going to use these data just as an example, but know now that I'm not proposing that this is accurate. We are just using this to illustrate how my system works. So let's pretend that this is hard data, collected using the Schilling standard, and is now compiled within a subjective human data set. The, quote, volunteer, unquote, rate on death row, according to the DPIC, is roughly 10%. So with that number in mind, we can say that only 10% of death row inmates agree with their sentence and would like it carried out as soon as possible. That would imply, then, that 90% of death row inmates do not want to be murdered. So what we have is clear moral direction. Those that are convicted of murder report that 90% of them do not want to be murdered themselves. That is not how they want to be treated. This subjective moral data set is clear. So let's now measure it against an objective moral data set to ensure that we are on the right track to a sound moral conclusion. The objective moral data that we have clearly indicates that murder is harmful to humanity and each individual person that is murdered has suffered greatly. So greatly, in fact, that they died from it. Thus, we can say that it is an objective fact that murdering a person causes suffering to that person and is therefore immoral. Great. Now we have what appears to be clear moral direction towards a sound moral answer. 
let's first ask the question, should we murder people that murder other people? According to our subjective moral data and our objective moral data, the clear answer is no. Regarding our subjective moral data, we can say that the answer is no with 90% accuracy. Regarding our objective moral data, we can say that with 100% accuracy, murder causes suffering. And that's it. That's the punchline. We have just come to our first moral conclusion utilizing the scientific method. And thus, we have taken our first step towards building a science of morality. In the next episode, we're going to establish a basis for human rights. Please join me. And this has been Ear Seduction.